Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, of course, we're continuing our study of the book of Exodus, uh, the book of redemption. As we look at this Old Testament book, what we're seeing is God's redemption of his people Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now, here's kind of the thing when you look at this. uh, uh, This book is a foreshadow of the great biblical truth of God's redemption of mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. So in the same way that God redeemed Israel out of bondage in Egypt, God redeemed human beings, all of us, through his son, Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross. And we continue this evening. We're seeing God charges Moses, and basically Moses and Aaron, to go to Pharaoh, to go another time to Pharaoh and demand that he let the people go. And how does Moses respond and what happens here? There are a number of things we're going to see in the passage. First of all, I think we'll see things like this. We're going to see God's promises, which I will deliver and I will redeem. We'll see Moses and Israel's response, which is they focus on self, not God. And then we'll see God's sovereign plan as we go through. So we want to learn from this passage. And and as we do that, we actually think about keeping the focus on God and his promises and his sovereignty rather than the events and circumstances of life. We've been seeing that over and over as we go through this. Uh, It's about to to get really, uh, really powerful because not this week, but beginning next week, we're going to start seeing the plagues. Our next time, we'll start seeing the plagues. So there's some things there. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we can come together. We thank you for the book of Exodus. Lord, as we see your redemption of your people, Israel. And it was not their works or their goodness or their righteousness or anything that delivered them. It was simply the Passover lamb and their faith in the lamb. And they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. Lord, thank you that you deliver us and you redeem us. And it's not based on our works or our goodness or our faithfulness or anything. But it's through your lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And we are redeemed through the blood of the lamb. We believe in Jesus Christ and we are saved and saved forever. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just ask you that as we look at the book of Exodus, you would teach us to Teach us these truths. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, one of the great truths is that just by faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life and we become children of God. John 1, 12, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe on his name. Well, with that great uh, idea, we have this relationship, but the relationship with God has both privileges and responsibilities. We say privilege. I'm a child of God. I'm in the family of God. I got this provision and protection. But there's also responsibility, and that is to make disciples, to be ambassadors for Christ. Well, as we think about living for Jesus Christ and, and as we try to go through life, there are really two ways that sort of we can look at life. Well, number one is we can keep our focus on ourselves, and that's what we do all the time. We, we look at our failures, our weaknesses, our inabilities. We look at life. We look at the problems. We look at all these things tied in, or we could keep the focus on God. And if we keep the focus on God, we see his power and his promises. Well, this evening, as we continue the study, we see Moses and the nation of Israel. Instead of looking at God and the promises, they're looking at the problems and the situations. They look at their weaknesses. They look at Pharaoh's power. They look at their inabilities to to do anything. Because when you think about it, they are slaves and they have no real power. And Moses, is for you know, I, I, as I read all this and as you study it, and if you look at it with me, you think, how does this slave, Moses, have the right to just go see the Pharaoh? And he goes and sees them, and you look at this over and over, he goes to see the Pharaoh. And, and yet, yet they, they have no power. Last time we saw that God reminded Moses of what he's going to do. He said, I will deliver, I will lead you out, I will redeem you. 
God in all his power and his glory would take the nation of Israel, slaves in Egypt, bringing them out, delivering them, and taking them to the promised land. That's the bottom line. The promised land, we call it the promised land because it was the land promised to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. It was the land he said he would give to them forever. And then later they took them out. They ended up in Egypt. And now he's saying, I'm going to take you back to the land that I promised. When How is, this, how is, how is Israel going to respond to to God basically saying, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. They, they don't listen. They won't even listen to Moses. And, and Moses is going to say it. We'll see it either tonight or the next time. And Moses basically says, if they, you know, if they won't, if the people of Israel won't listen to me, how will Pharaoh listen to me? My own people don't even listen to me, and you're telling me to go see Pharaoh? Well, look at verse 9, because we see they're looking at the problems rather than the promises. It says, So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel. He tells them what God's going to do, and he's going to bring them out. He's going to give them the land. Moses spoke to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. And so we see that they're looking at the issues and the problems. Now, as we look at the passage tonight, and we'll go fairly quickly through it. it, it we're, we're starting basically chapter 6, about verse 10 and go into chapter 7, verse 5, and you go, well, that's a lot of verses. Well, uh, some of that whole section is a list of names, and we're just going to uh, look at some of those things. But let me, let me tell you some things we're going to look at. First, we're going we're gonna to review the promises. We're going to see that. Then we're going to see their responses to all of that. Then we're going to see some background on Moses and Aaron, and then we're going to see the confrontation, which deals with the sovereignty of God and how, how all that fits together. But we'll see the, the confrontation. Well, let's begin. God has sent Moses to Pharaoh, and he sends him, and he sent him based on the promises. God does what he says. If you remember what God had promised Moses, and it's in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He said, I will establish my covenant with them, talking about the nation of Israel, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourn. And so chapter 4, if you remember, talked about the land. And if you go back to the covenant that God made with Israel, he promised them the land, the seed, the blessing. The land is, of course, the promised land. The seed is the nation, and the ultimate seed is Jesus Christ. And the blessing is salvation that's offered to the whole world, because he told Abraham through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The ultimate blessing, of course, is the salvation. He would Take them out of Egypt and take them back to what we call the promised land. In verses 6, 7, and 8, and we saw this last time, we saw three aspects. And I think I have them for you right here. He said, I will redeem there will be a relationship, and I will give you a residence. I want you to think about redemption. He said he would redeem them. Look at verse 6. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the burdens of Egypt. I will deliver you from the bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So verse 6 talks about redemption. Verse 7 deals with relationship. And look what he says in verse 7. I will take you. That is, he's going to be their God. They're going to be his people. He says, I will take you for my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. So first, there's redemption. Second, there's relationships. And then in verse 8, he talks about residence, where they're going to live. And look at verse 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so the powerful thing of what we call redemption, relationship, and residence. Well, we can make application to that because we have redemption. We have redemption. God redeems us through Jesus Christ. He died and rose again, 
and purchased us. We're redeemed not with the corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, First Peter 1, 18 and 19. So we have redemption in Jesus Christ. Second, we have relationship. By faith, we are his children. He is our Father. John 1, 12, the verse I quoted a while ago, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believed in his name. So there's redemption, relationship. We have residence. He has a place for us. John 14, beginning at verse 1, or basically John 14, the, the whole section where he says, I go prepare a place for you if it wasn't that way that I told you in my father's house there are many rooms I'm going to go get this place and when it gets ready I'll come back and get you and where I am there will you'll be also so in the same way that God told Israel I will redeem you we have a relationship and I have a place for you God says the same thing for us I will redeem you through Jesus Christ we have a relationship I am your father you're my sons my children and I have a place for you so it's really really powerful so we brought it out a while ago God tells all of this to Moses Moses goes and tells all of this to the nation of Israel look again at verse 9 so Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel what did he say to them he said, God says I'll redeem us. God says I have a relationship with us. God says that we has a place for us to live. He spoke that to the sons of Israel, but, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. You know, it just wasn't working. <laughs> You know, Moses already had gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh said, whoa, 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 y'all got too much time on your hand, on your hand. So I'm taking away the straw. So the people are saying, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Every time you go talk to somebody, we get, it's worse for us. So when he came to him and said, God says this is going to happen, he's going to redeem you, he's got a relationship, he's got a residence, they did not listen. And, and, and the bottom line is this. They're looking at the problems. And the truth is this. That if we look at the problem, we'll always be defeated. We'll be ineffective for God. That's the truth. If you look at life with the problems and the issues, we're going to see it. And I mentioned it, I think, the other time. But we're going to see it just a couple of Sunday mornings, not too long from now, where Jesus walks on the water. And you know the story. It's not even found in John. If you read the Gospel of John, you only see one miracle. There were actually four. Most of the time, and when Jesus walked on the water... Uh, you, you and John, you actually, you, you, you picture one miracle, Jesus walking on the water. There's actually two in the Gospel of John. There's actually four overall, and we'll see them when we go through the passage. But when Peter was walking on the water to Jesus, he, uh, he looked at the circumstances and began to sink. And that's what happens to us every time. And the nation of Israel, if you said to them, are you looking at God? They'd say, God, what has he ever done for us? We're not looking at God. I just read a book called Night by, I think his name is Elie Weissel, who was, uh, he's written probably 30 books, but he was in the Holocaust. He, he was age, I think, 11 when he was taken with his father and his family, and they were separated, and, and he made it through the Holocaust. But, he, but in, the, in the book, he writes and says that when he saw what he saw, the destruction, the, the death, the suffering, he said, I, I, there, is, there is no God. God, God can't, there's no God or this could not happen. God would never let this happen. And he said he'd watch the Jewish people as they were going, his people as they were going to, to, to be put to death. And they're all praying to God. He said, how can you pray to God? God? God's not real if he allows this to happen. Later, after he's written the book, and then he's, he's got a kind of a, not a sequel to the book, but he's added some things to the end, there seems to be some indication at the end that he has come back to say that there may be a God. He doesn't say that he believes in Jesus Christ. He's Jewish, and he's not a believer in the sense that we would say believer. But because of what he saw, 
in the Holocaust. He said, and he lived through it. Uh, he said, I, I just, I, I can't see. I see no hope. I think if you talk to the Jewish people in Exodus right here, they would say, there's no hope for us. There's nothing. I mean, um, they could kill us anytime they wanted to. We're the slaves. We, we, we were supposed to make brick, and we don't even have strong anymore. And here's this Moses fella who, who's been gone for 40 years, and he's telling us all these things and, and what God's going to do, and, and we're not even sure there's a God anymore. And so it says, Moses said this to the sons of Israel, but they didn't listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. If we look at the problems and the situations of life, we'll always be defeated. But if we look at the promises and the redemption and the relationship and the residence, we'll always have victory and we can be used for God. The people didn't listen. Well, what happened? And, and, and let's see. Look at verse 10. It said, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Now the Lord's going to give some further instruction to Moses. So he comes to Moses, and here's what he tells Moses to do. He says, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now go tell Pharaoh to let Israel go. And he's done this one other time. And Pharaoh said, I don't know, who, I don't know the Lord. I don't know who your God is. And I'm not letting you go. And Pharaoh got mad at Moses, so to speak. And then the people got mad at Moses because everything went bad. And, 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 and I, think, I think if you really look at it carefully, I think Moses got mad at God. Because if you look, look over at the end of verse 5, Moses says, Lord, why did you do this? Why did you send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, you have not delivered us at all. I think he's mad. I think he says, you said you're going to deliver us. I go up there and do what you tell me to do, and it's gotten worse. Does God say, I'll never leave you or forsake you? Did he say he'll provide every need that you have? Because it sometimes looks like he doesn't. Sometimes it looks like he doesn't. And you could say, well, where are you? I thought you said you were going to do everything. We're going to see when, the, when the, the disciples are in that boat, and they're going to be in the boat for nine hours. They're supposed to get in the boat. This is, this is uh, not too long, for, you know, a couple of, uh, not, not very far in, in the book of John from where we are now. They get in the boat, and they're just supposed to go across the Sea of Galilee. It's supposed to take them about an hour and a half. And they're not even halfway across. They've been on the thing nine hours. And and you know what they had said? Why, why did Jesus tell us to get in the boat and go when he didn't go? Sometimes we say, why, does, why are we doing this when it doesn't look like it's turning out for... It's not turning out any good. So the Lord spoke to Moses and said, You go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the sons of Israel go out of his hand. So watch Moses answer. <laughs> he said, But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I'm unskilled in speech. He said, Listen, if the people don't even, if my own people won't even listen to me, how do we expect Pharaoh to listen to me? Because really, I'm not that good a talker. I'm just not that good. I can't speak good enough. Have we forgotten? That's not our power. It's God through us. It's not our strength. How many of you in here think you can witness? Any of you in here think you can witness for Jesus Christ? You try? Or does God try through you? If you say, I think I might can, well, the best thing to do is go sit down. If you say, I know that God will use me and it will be his strength and power through me, then you can do anything. See, have we forgotten that it's not about us? It's not about us. It's God through us. It's not, I don't think I can do that. 
I said, doesn't matter. You're not the one doing it anyway. It's God doing it through you. He uses the gifts, talents, and abilities that he has given to us. What has he told Moses? I will be with you. I will be your mouth. I will speak for you. I will give you Aaron. What has he said to you? I give you eternal life. I give you spiritual gifts. I give you the word of God. I give you the body of Christ. I give you the fellow believers. I give you this. We got it all. Moses is looking at himself and not God. What does Moses say? I am unskilled in speech. You know what God says? It's not about you, Moses. I can use a stick, you know. Right? He can use a stick. It will make a huge difference in our lives if we look either at self or God. Self is defeat and doubt. God, there's victory and confidence. Because it's confidence in God. Look what God says. Then the Lord spoke to to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Basically, you know what he says? Do what I said. Do what I said. Go to him and tell him, let us go. He gave them the charge. Now, I love this right here. God doesn't change his plan because we don't think we can do it. Go and make disciples, right? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think we can do it. So you think maybe you got plan B, right? I want you to share your faith. (laughs) Maybe there's another way. No, listen, God doesn't change his plan because we don't think we can do it. We can do what? All things through the one who strengthens us. The people in Moses are looking at the problems rather than the promises. Well, let's go a little bit further because if you're going to find at the beginning in verse 14 through about verse 27, it's a listing of names. And we go, names? Let, and what, what he's done is what he wants to do is, is the writer, which we're not, you know, we know Moses wrote the first five books. So here's Moses writing this. And he, he wants us to understand in the Spirit, of course, the Holy Spirit's writing it, wants us to understand exactly who this Moses and Aaron are. Just to make sure we got it. So starting at verse 14, he begins to say, he starts off by saying, these are the heads of their father's households, talking about of Israel. The first sons, there's Reuben, and in the next verse he says there's Simeon. In the next verse he goes, Levi. Who's after that? Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Who's the fourth son? You may know. How about Judah? Okay. And so you'd think that he's fixing to list for us the 12 sons of Israel and their offspring. That's what we think, right? So notice verse 14. These are the heads of the father's household, the sons of Reuben. That's number one. He's the, <coughs> Israel's firstborn, and they list his kids. Then he says the sons of Simeon. That's number two. And they list his kids. Then he lists number three. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. They're number three. Guess what? He goes no further than number three. Wonder why? Because he's going to focus on who? See, who's he, who's he wanting us to remember who he's talking about? Moses and Aaron and their descendants of who? Levi. So what he did is he started the list, but he stops at the third son, which is Levi, because that's 
where Moses and Aaron descended. So the first one in verse 14 is Reuben. The first son, verse 15, is Simeon. The second son, verse 16, is Levi, the third son. But then he gets, he starts listing some names. Look, look again. These are the names, this is verse 16. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. There's Gershon and Koath and Marii. And the length of Levi's life was 137 years. Then he starts listing. Then there's Gershon and his sons. Then there's Koath and his sons. But notice. The key is they were looking for is Koath. Watch verse 18. The sons of Koath, Amram and Yishkar and Hebron and Uzziel, and the length of Koath's life was 133 years. Now the key name there is Amram. Because look down at verse 20. And Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she bore him who? Aaron and Moses. And so what he's doing is he's wanting to make sure we know who these exact people are that God is fixing to use. It's Aaron and Moses. I think I've got, yeah, Aaron, Amram married Jochebed. Their children were Aaron and Moses. Now, look down at verse 26. It was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their host. The writer, who is Moses, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, I want everyone who's reading this to make sure they understand that this is Moses and Aaron, and this is the Moses and Aaron who are descendants of Levi, just to make sure everybody knows who it is that God is sending. So he says, it was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their host. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. So he says it two or three different ways just to make sure we understand. And so he has this break in there. The, of the story of Moses and Aaron, just say, no, by the way, I want to make sure you know who these people are before I give you the rest of the story. They were the ones that went to Pharaoh. Powerful. Now, a little bit more detail. It came about, verse 28, <clears throat> and it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. Now, verse 28, verse, uh, verse 28 and 29, that God told him, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell Pharaoh everything I tell you to say. You know what's amazing? Is that when we get to teach the Bible, we're doing exactly the same thing. When you teach a Bible study, or I get to teach on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, or you do something, and you say, here's what the Bible says, you are telling people what God said. Because he said it and wrote it down and said, tell it to him. God said to Moses, you tell him what I tell you. He just hadn't written it down yet. It would be a long time before he writes it down. The response. But Moses said before the Lord. You know, the world is full of buts. And I mean it this way. It, it's always but, 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 but I can't do it. No, but I want you to go do that. But I want you to make this. But I want you to help on vacation. But I want you to do this. We're always saying but. And but is always a contrast. It's always the opposite of what he's saying. I want you to go do this. But Moses said before the Lord, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Moses, it's not about you, right? 
And if we say, I don't think anybody in the office would listen to me if I want to share my faith, you say, it's not about you. Well, I don't think I, I'm not sure that, that I could really teach, you know, a Bible study. It's not about you. I don't know if I could really help on vacation Bible school because, see, I'm not very It's not about you. It's about the God who uses you. It's pretty amazing. He says, I'm unskilled in speech. I will Pharaoh listen to me. He is looking at himself, not God's power or promises. We're the instrument. He's the power. I think that's the key. Well, what happens when Moses goes to Pharaoh? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to just very briefly get the first few verses of chapter 7. Just a, for just a little bit to see how it fits. So, by the way, I do want you to see one thing. <clears throat> Look at verse 7 of chapter 7. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. <laughs> Isn't that something? Jack McEwen, who is that? Anybody know? Baseball manager, isn't he? For the Florida Marlins. He just got hired. How old is he? 80 years old. He became the, everybody's talking about 80-year-old guy, you know, who, who was the guy? Connie Mack, 87, was the, was the oldest manager ever. And, and now this guy's like second or third, because Casey Stingle might have been older, I don't know. Uh, but people are going, 80-year-old baseball manager. How would you like Moses and Aaron, 80 and 83, fixing to go talk to Pharaoh about, we're letting the people out of here, if you know what I mean. This is amazing. Most of the time in our culture, if you get 80, what do people say? Sit down and don't slobber all over yourself, right? <laughs> that's what they think. That's what they think. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's what our culture says. Our culture says, don't you think it's time to get out of the way and let the other people do something, the younger people coming up? Where's the wisdom? Where's the wisdom? Look what happened, chapter 7, verse 1. We'll go quickly through these first verses. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I'll, I will make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, what he's saying is, Moses, listen, when you go speak to Pharaoh, it's going to be like your God because you're going to be representing me, and Aaron's going to be like your prophet because who's going to be doing the talking? Aaron's going to be doing the talking. Remember, because Moses already said, I don't think I can talk very good. And God said, I can't use that as an excuse. I'll just let Aaron talk for you. He said, you're going to be a God to Pharaoh. He, because Moses is going to speak with authority. And more on, guess what? I think the next slide says, Aaron's going to be your prophet. He's going to give the message. So Moses gets the information from God, and Aaron proclaims it to the Pharaoh. If you're Moses when you're there, don't you, don't you think maybe you ought to go, I think I can talk now. Right? Because Aaron's doing all the talking and Moses says, I'm the one that God's talking to. He's just, he's just the, you know, he's just the spokesman. You and I realize that as Moses and Aaron are God's representatives, every one of us in this room are God's representatives. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. Isn't that true? We are the messengers and his representatives. He is the power. Notice what the next verse says. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron will speak to Pharaoh and he will let the sons of Israel go out of his land. He says, you will tell everything I tell you and then Aaron's going to say it to the Pharaoh so that, and speak to the Pharaoh that he will let the sons of Israel go out of the land. That's the plan. You tell him he's got to let the people go. And don't be afraid about it. There's something we see in this passage, and I call it this dual truth of God, God is sovereign and man has freedom. 
because we're going to see in this whole thing that God is working all of this plan so that he will demonstrate his power. He says in the book of Romans that he raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate his power. At the same time, Pharaoh has complete freedom. And what we're going to see is that Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. They go together, and I call it man's uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardens his own heart. They go together. Look at verse 3, what God says. I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Some people read that, and they think it means that when Moses went to Pharaoh, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he wouldn't let him go. That's not what this says. Pharaoh already hardened his heart, and I told you already that we're halfway through the plagues before it ever says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, God has just given a future statement. He says, I will, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But he doesn't at first. In fact, look at verse 4. It says, When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt. I'll bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. One of the things that you can think about is that from God's side, he hardens ten times in this section. God hardens man's side. Pharaoh hardens his heart ten times in this section. But it's halfway through the plagues before it ever says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Because I've had people come and say, see, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he couldn't respond. That's not what it says. Scripture says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In fact, verse 4 says, when Pharaoh does not listen to you. How does it fit that God is the sovereign ruler of all things, and man has freedom to make choices? Throughout history, man has tried to solve that issue. And on one side, you have the people that say the sovereignty of God and God's sovereign is everything and everything does is God's sovereign and they're called Calvinist. And then you've got the other group that says, no, 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 people do whatever they want to do and God just really actually just sits back and kind of watches and they're called Armenians and they're both wrong. And almost throughout all the history of the church, everybody's divided in those two camps, the Presbyterians and the Methodists. Presbyterians, Calvinists, Methodists, Arminians. You realize that? That if you can take all the denominations and almost all of the groups and they all almost always fit in one or the other. And everybody thinks that you either got to be one or the other. The Bible says both of them are wrong. You know, is God totally sovereign and works all things according to the counsel of His will? Yes. Does man have the decision-making capacity and the freedom to do whatever he chooses to do? Yes, they're both true. It's not an either or, it's both and. And when people get to that point, they won't start putting God into boxes. They'll just recognize there's some things you can't completely understand because he's infinite, we're finite. God says, Pharaoh will not let you go and I'm going to harden his heart so I will demonstrate my power. They're both true. Wow, it all goes together. Notice the very end of verse 4. He says, my pe- he says I'm going to let my people out, the sons, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. Great judgments. What do we call those? The plagues. And their judgments on the gods of Egypt. Every one of them. And I've got a handout, a couple of handouts for you that uh, in the next couple of weeks when we look over these, I will give you these handouts that, that list the ten plagues and what they're all doing and all that how it ties together. Now notice verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
L-O-R-D, all capitals, the eternal God. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. You realize that when, when they leave, the people of Egypt are glad they're leaving. The people of Egypt are saying, please get out of here. Your God is killing us. That's what they're saying. Powerful events. What have we seen? God reminds Moses of the promises, the redemption relationship residence. Moses and Israel are focused on themselves, not God. God charges Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh. In God's sovereignty, we're going to see Pharaoh refuses as Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It all ties together. Let me give you some applications. The first one is kind of the key one that we, it says, just keep our focus on the promises of God and not the problems. And the truth is, as you go through life, that's what we see. Think about what he's promised us. He's, he's promised us redemption in Christ. He's promised us the relationship as a child of God. And he's promised us the residence in a sense he's gone to prepare a place for us. And, of course, right, even right now, he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? So think about the promises that God has for us. And it's very easy to look at the circumstances rather than the promises. It's so easy to look at all the problems rather than the promises. Keep the focus on God and not ourselves. The second one is rest in the sovereign plan of God in our lives. Think about it. God's in control. He is. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And so here's some things to think about. First of all, there's no such thing as fate, luck, or chance. There's not. You don't have to say good luck. You don't have to say it because there's not good luck or bad luck. God works all things. He's the eternal God. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. I said, what is that? Is that a phone? Oh, it's a phone. I'm sorry. I didn't know what that was. Anyway, I thought that was God coming in and saying, wait a minute, you just said that wrong, so let me change it. Anyway, be number two, be faithful to obey God. Moses and Aaron, even though they didn't want to, they still did what God told them to do. And just remember this. It, God doesn't change the plan just because we don't think we can do it. Be faithful. Moses had the charge. He, he was to be the representative. Moses and Aaron to be the representative of God to Pharaoh. We are to be representatives of God to our community. That's what we do. We're the representatives. We serve him in his power, not ours. The third thing I think is key is realize we're accountable. In the same way Moses and Aaron were accountable, Pharaoh was accountable. You understand that God didn't say, Pharaoh can't help it, I'm just making him that way. God didn't say that. God didn't say, I'm just making him that way. He was responsible. And and, and if you sin tomorrow, does God say, I made you sin? See, I'm the sovereign God. If you read the Calvinist teaching, ultimately God is the author of all sin that he caused you to sin. Ultimately, if you take the, the Calvinist view to the extreme or to, to its logical conclusion. We are accountable. That's why he says, What were the call which I've been called which I've called you? Our decisions fit into his plan, and yet we're accountable for every decision that we make. We are to obey him, realize we're accountable. So may we keep our focus on God, his promises, not the problems. We rest in the sovereign plan of God, obeying him as his representatives. Well, there's a lot more to go, and we're just about to get in all the good part, where the plagues are coming. Well, that's, that's the good part. That's a pretty tough part, but it is amazing to watch the power of God. But, you know, just think of it. It really happened. Sometimes we read this like it's a story. Gee, great story. Not a story. Not a story. It's true. It actually happened. It happened. Amazing.
amazing. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, as we look at the book of Exodus and all the things that are there and just realize what you've taught us and what we see. Lord, we want to keep our focus on you and on your promises and not the problems of life. We know that we have redemption in Jesus Christ and we become children of God and you have prepared a place for us and, and you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, it's so easy to look at the things around us and not you. May we keep our focus on you and, Lord, resting in the fact that you are sovereign and you're working all things according to the counsel of your will. And our goal is just to be faithful, to be faithful to serve you, to live for you, and to, to uh, represent you as ambassadors, serving in your power, not ours, knowing that we're accountable for how we live and what we do. We want to bring honor and glory to you through everything that we do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything about tonight? There's a lot in there. Yeah, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to be praising that day, and if they stop the people, the rocks would say it. You're exactly right. That That's the plan, isn't it? Yeah. Chuck Missler tells a great story with the people of Israel, and he tells them when you're walking down the Mount of Olives into the city, he says, pick up one of these rocks, and then when you get home, just mount it on a little wooden plaque and stuff, and put it on your desk, and then when people ask you, what's that rock? You say, well, that's one of the rocks that didn't cry out, because that leads right into the Right, right. That's one of the rocks that didn't because the people were. Do you know what Hosanna means? It says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what Hosanna means? It means save us. It means save us. That's what they were shouting. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were recognizing Jesus as the Savior as he's coming in the triumphal entry. Isn't that amazing? Good stuff. What else? What else? Any other questions, comment, input, anything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to something that you, you mentioned a little bit ago about uh, the uh, Calvinists and their, uh, you know, when they, ult- when they ultimately do sin, yeah, they're either not saved or God did, did uh, cause them to do that. Yeah, if, if you take the system to, to, to its logical conclusion, yes, if he's sovereign in every aspect in that way, there has to be a, there has to be the freedom of man to live and make choices, which goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Yeah, good point. Did somebody else say something a while ago? You, did you? Okay. It's a little bit hard because things are changing so rapidly. Historically, the average Southern Southern Baptist Church was not Calvinistic, Uh, was not necessarily Arminian, although because of the lordship teaching as most Southern Baptists, that tends to be Arminian because if you don't don't make him lord of your life and serve him, you're not saved, and so it goes back to works. But because of what's happened in Southern Seminary, which has become all Calvinistic, that many of the young guys coming out of the Southern Seminary are totally Calvinist, and so they're going into churches, and so a lot of Southern Baptist churches are now becoming much more Calvinistic than they have been in the past. The bottom line is if you just take the Scripture and not try to put a system into what you believe in the sense of especially the salvation message and the interpretation. If you interpret the Bible historically, literally, grammatically, you'll always you'll always come up with a grace message. You'll always come up with a, and I mean this in a good way, a premillennial 
view, you'll always come up with the idea that the church will be taken out and there'll be a tribulation, there'll be a kingdom. And I mean, it all fits. If you take the Bible historically, literally, grammatically, it always fits that way. If you do something else, it, it won't. What else? Anything else? Okay, let's do this. Let me. Uh, I'm going to pray for the the youth that are on the trip. We talked to them. To, uh, well, we didn't. I didn't talk to them today, but we talked to them, and they're doing great. They're having the greatest time. Uh, they're they're working on a church. They're painting a church, and I think tomorrow they're going to finish painting the floor of the church. They're doing a lot. I, I don't know. I, di- I didn't get if whether they've led anybody to Christ or not, but I'm, I'm sure that they're having a great time. So, Heavenly Father, we just lift up the youth uh, that we just pray for their safety and a great time. We pray, Lord, that they'll have opportunities to uh, share their faith and that they'll see people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, we pray. Thank you that they're having the opportunity to help that church and to paint it and to paint the floor and the walls and to get things ready and to help that help the people there and we just ask you to continue to use them i I pray lord that in their lives this will be this will be uh, one of the greatest trips ever for them that they'll see you work in their lives they'll trust you and when they come back uh, they won't be the same that they'll recognize that you are everywhere and the gospel message is the same no matter where they go or what they do and we just ask you to uh, bless them and use them we ask this in jesus name amen would somebody pray for Vacation Bible School? It's been going great. We have between 165 and 170 kids. Teachers are working so hard. All the people in all the different crafts and everything else is just going amazing. And I'd like somebody to pray that some some kids will trust in Christ. I don't. I mean, I haven't had a teacher come up to me and say, hey, I led two kids to Christ or anything. But my prayer is that not only the kids come to Vacation Bible School, but there are people here that I know that they don't know Christ. And this might be the time that they've trusted Christ. So would somebody like to pray that, do uh, you want to take it, that, that people, that the kids, that we'll see people come to know Christ in a great vacation Bible school. Uh, Sunday night, uh, Sunday's, you know, going to be a lot of fun. we got Sunday morning, John, and Sunday school and all that stuff. And then Sunday, Sunday night, we have the fellowship supper, and that's going to be fantastic. We've got, uh, is it chicken? I think fried chicken and brisket and all that, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody needs to bring a side dish and a dessert, and we all know what kind of dessert to bring. So uh, that kind of stuff. And then... We're going to have something else that we need to get the word out. We're going to have a congregational meeting. What we're going to do is we're going to eat, have baptism, because we're going to baptize two or three people, and then then we're going to come back in here for a real brief congregational meeting. We need to vote on a couple of things. So, um, Steve, anything else? Because he's the chairman of the elders. He'll be running that meeting. Is is there anything I've left out? Okay, so... Right, 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 yeah, okay. One vote in a... What was the other thing you said? How did you say it? Information, right. So would somebody pray for um, the Sunday night fellowship supper and the baptism and the and the congregational meeting and just a, a great time? Anybody want to take that? You got it? You got it, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Just thank you so much for your time and uh, just 
What else? Anything else? Yeah. Elden? Huh? Okay, your son-in-law has, has had this dealing with pacemaker right now, and okay, okay. So, and what's his name? He, he, no, Hugh, no, Hugh. Okay, I remembered it. Okay, let me pray for Hugh. That's his son. That's Eldon's son-in-law, and and um, and just anybody else as well. Heavenly Father, we just pray for Hugh first of all that that they'll be able to with the pacemaker and with the other things they'll be able to get the heart and everything regulated. We pray that uh, with some right medicine and things, maybe there can be rapid improvement and he'll feel a lot better and and and, and be able to work toward getting himself as healthy as possible. Lord, we also just think about uh, anybody else in our church. There are a lot of people that are going through things and or have sicknesses or trials or problems or issues. So we lift all that up to you, Lord. We, you know that each person and what's going on. In fact, Lord, we know that in every life, even everyone in this room, that there are issues and things that um, that bother us, that that um, distract us. And Lord, we must keep our focus on you. But we lift these up to you. We, you tell us to be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known to you. And so, Lord, we want to do that. Thank you, Lord. We can come to you anytime, anywhere, any place about anything. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.